when you're out selling, you don't intentionally set out to make any of your customers feel stupid. So you build value propositions that resonate. You think about their needs. You think about in a B2B environment, it's about how do I improve their revenue, reduce their costs, real tangible impact. If it's in the B2C environment, you're thinking about all of those things plus emotional context, right? So we know that as salespeople. So as we moved into this world of transformation and we put the people at the heart of it, we went, let's build value propositions for internal customers as well as external customers so that it helps them to understand. So we understand their need based on them as unique individuals. We expose them to the resources that are available to them. We quantify the benefit to them as individuals or teams as or as organizations so that ultimately they make an informed decision and you really harness that human effect rather than what historically would happen is you get the vision from the top. This is what we're going to do. Lo and behold, often it doesn't work out as you expect, but that's because no one really understood the human effect. Welcome to the Your Living Brand Live show. This show is all about how you communicate your value, how you build influence through trust, and recognizing who your audience is and who they are not. Through our weekly conversations with our guests, we will explore different ways to enable you to demonstrate your uniqueness. While we ask them, what's your story? And now, welcome our host, Ben Baker. Welcome to another episode of the Your Living Brand Live show. Welcome back, my wonderful audience. Thank you guys for listening week after week, month after month, year after year, for emailing me at ben at yourbrandmarketing.com, for connecting with me on LinkedIn. I appreciate you all. I've got a big announcement at the end of the show, but suffice to say, this is my last interview on the Your Living Brand Live show. And we'll talk about that a little bit more at the end of the show. But right now, I am just ecstatic like you wouldn't believe to introduce my last guest, James Clark. James and I have known each other for a good long time now. We've become very good Zoom buddies, come from the other side of the pond. And we're going to talk about business transformation and the challenges of change at an enterprise level. So James, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Ben. Thank you. Nice to see you. You and I met through Paul Hevesy. We met through Stanley Black and Decker. And there's an organization that's going through some enormous changes and has been for a while now. And it's incredible to see from the outside. You can let me know a little bit more from the inside if you want. I don't want you to give away any state secrets, but how those changes not only affect the organization, but they change the people inside the organization. It changes the culture, it changes the purpose, it changes the vision, and all of that is fascinating. So, James, before we get started, why don't you give people a 30-second, one-minute idea of who you are, where you came from, and where you are today? Thank you, Ben. Uh, James Clark, originally an engineer by trade, grew up in systems engineering, found myself in, I suppose, increasingly traditional senior roles in the world of operations management, sales management, general management, and reached a crossroads, I guess, about five years ago. I got drawn into the world of enterprise-wide transformation projects, change management at Stanley Black & Decker, and it took me down a path that I probably would never have foreseen, but it has been fascinating is definitely the way I would describe it, and it's just opened my eyes to some things that I never really realized before about how you lead transformation, 
how you think about the unique individuals involved in that while keeping your eye on the kind of the ability to transform enterprise level organizations. But yeah, commercial excellence director now living in a world of constant transformation or constant change. It's the one constant. Before we get into it, what was the impetus for that change five years ago? What was that aha moment or who was that person you know that reached their arm out and dragged you in and said, you know what, this is a great place for you to be. And how did they sell you? Because it was, it was dramatic change from where you were to where you are and get you into that new thought of business transformation, change management, people management, understand the company on more of a macro level instead of a micro level where you probably were even within senior management positions. So at the time I was working for Stanley Security, which was obviously part of Stanley Black & Decker at the time. And we always used to stand and say, we're a commodity industry. We're selling CCTV cameras. We're selling access control. They're commodities in the marketplace. And we felt like we were kind of competing in a marketplace that we were struggling to differentiate ourselves. I'd followed, as I say, this very traditional path. And there were some leaders inside the organization who were passionate about changing our perspective on the market. I think it's important to recognize as well that Stanley Black & Decker, in terms of the landscape of that as an organization, is one of positive and constant transformation and innovation as an organization right throughout its history. And when I joined the organization, I was told... It's an organization that's full of opportunities driven through innovation and change, but it's also an organization that requires you to be incredibly resilient. So that's the landscape of the situation. And I remember getting a phone call five years ago and they said, okay, James, you've been doing this job as a general manager running in-store projects and customer sales processes. We want you to lead our pricing work stream as part of this global transformation project. I remember just thinking, and I actually said, are you sure I've never done any pricing before? Pricing is not, that's not what I do. Outside your comfort zone. Outside my comfort zone. As a kind of predominantly commercially orientated individual, as a sales guy, my job is to discount price increases away. Pricing is a finance job. It's not a sales job. And I tip my hat to those leaders because they said that's exactly the point. We want you to come in and have a perspective on pricing that makes it relevant for everybody. How do we democratize, to use the kind of one of the current buzzwords of today, how do we democratize pricing and make it relevant for everybody? And actually, as soon as they said that to me, I said, oh, actually, that's interesting. Let's see if we can make pricing understandable, relevant, and something that people will really embrace. So, yeah, it was a um, strange conversation, but ultimately proved to be a defining moment in my career, I would say. And that's an interesting thing is the bold leadership to sit there and say, wait a second here, we're missing a piece of the pie. We know we need to differentiate. We know we need to change. We know that the status quo isn't working for whatever reason. We may not even know why the status quo isn't working, but we know that we need fresh faces, fresh voices, fresh ideas to be able to make the changes that we need to change in order to get from where we are to where we want to be. And I think that's a bold place for any leader to be because, you know, change is scary. Change is is an extremely scary thing. And a lot of companies sit there and go, that's risk. If we change, if it's not broke, don't fix it. If it's working, just keep doing what you're doing. But you never innovate that way. You never grow that way. You never become a leader in the industry that way. So What were the things that you learned along the way that enabled you to sit there and say, ah, okay, 
these are the things that I'm seeing. This is what I would like to see, but how do you get from being that fresh face to being somebody that is a voice at the table? I came into the exercise and I was really open to the concept. I looked at the principle of pricing, but it could fundamentally be anything. And I realized that me as an individual, I didn't understand it. I was never going to admit I didn't understand it. I think it's easy to say that salespeople often struggled, as a good friend of mine used to say, park their ego at the door. They're never going to put their hand up and go, I don't understand it. And we used to make decisions as salespeople that in our mind, 5% discount, what's that? That's easy, right? Or we're going to go and take this path rather than this one. And it was intuitive. It was gut feel. It wasn't based on data. It wasn't based on fact. It wasn't based on being well-informed. But ultimately, you would never convince me or many others that there was a different path because we struggled to park our ego, right? We didn't want to admit that we didn't understand something. So I came into pricing. I came into that transformation project. And what I saw is not only, so I was doing pricing, there was people doing growth, there were people doing supply chain, there was people doing IT, there multiple work streams in this transformation project. And fundamentally at the heart of it was the same issue in the sense that we had an organization where there was so many incredibly smart people across the organization at multiple levels who had some great ideas. But there were also a lot of people who didn't understand the fundamentals of certain things outside of this work stream. So we had to find a way of giving people a voice, but also being able to enable people to be more self-aware on their terms rather than us say to them you don't understand this what we had to do was create an ability to, for them to have that aha moment and go i don't understand this i don't need to admit i don't understand it i can just step into this and i can embrace it and i can be incrementally better than i was previously so let me give you an example in terms of pricing if you talk to a thousand salespeople and you say you're going to teach them the principles of pricing. One percent, if you're lucky, might perk up their ears. They might perk up their ears. However, if I turn around to you and say, I'm going to teach you the principles of value-based sales so you can add value to your customers, or I'm going to help you to negotiate more effectively in order to be a better version of yourself as a salesperson, I think your chances are you get a lot more people who all of a sudden take an interest in that. I'm still talking about pricing. But what I'm doing is I'm turning it around and delivering a message based on the needs of the recipient of that message. So you're saying it to a salesperson in language they want to hear. All of a sudden, then you're not forcing anything. What you're doing is creating self-awareness for them. They go, oh, OK, I'm interested in that. So how do I do that, James? You take them down the process of kind of self-assessment so they can self-diagnose where they sit and fit into that broader spectrum of change and transformation. And then what you do is you expose them to resources and capability building that enables them to be, as you say, a better version of themselves. But the other thing that was increasingly important was don't try and set unrealistic expectations for people. If you say to someone, I'm going to make you 20% better, it's pretty unlikely that They'll believe it. They'll achieve it. We always used to, when we did value-based sales training, as an example, at the end of it, we used to say to people, do you think you, tomorrow you'll be 1% better than you were yesterday? And I would say probably 99 people, actually probably all of them at the time, said, sure, I'm going to be 1% better tomorrow. 
So for an organization like Stanley Black & Decker, if you can have 1% more margin on every salesperson's deal yesterday in comparison to today, that's a big number. Indeed, it's that classic graph that shows the cumulative effect of lots of 1% is enormous. It was incredibly powerful, but ultimately what you get from that, Ben, is you get momentum. You get people going, oh, okay. So instead of you having to force programs into people, see it and go, oh, I'm interested in being involved in that. How do I get involved in that? And you build value cases internally, which then ultimately lead to momentum, increase value cases and increase opportunities to engage with people collaboratively across the organization. And it snowballs and it is incredibly powerful to watch that happen. But what it also enables you to do is if people don't think they have the need, that's fine too, because there's always people that will see the need. So you move on to someone else and you continue to build capability. And it's this principle of incremental improvement across an entire organization that just has such a sustainable impact. It was incredible. It's business transformation with a human focus. It's sitting there saying, okay, what do these people need in their minds to be successful? You know, it's tapping into, they all know that there's something within them that is keeping them from getting to whatever the next level is. And not everybody is going to be the top salesperson. It's taking the bottom salesperson and bring them up 1% a day. It's taking the middle salespeople and bring them up 1% a day. And the top salespeople, giving them the ability to go from good to great. That's right. That's a psychological thing, is looking at business transformation from a human point of view and realizing that we're dealing with emotions, we're dealing with fear, we're dealing with aspirations, we're dealing with, as you said, the ability not to feel stupid. And I think that we really, truly undersell the idea of how important it is to not make people feel stupid and not make people feel less than. Yeah. That's right. One of the things that that we often thought about and talked about and did was taking experience as sellers and salespeople working with external customers and applied it to internal customers. So when you're out selling, you don't intentionally set out to make any of your customers feel stupid. So you build value propositions that resonate. You think about their needs. You think about in a B2B environment, it's about how do I improve their revenue, reduce their costs, real tangible impact. If it's in the B2C environment, you're thinking about all of those things plus emotional context, right? So we know that as salespeople. So as we moved into this world of transformation and we put the people at the heart of it, we went, let's build value propositions for internal customers as well as external customers so that it helps them to understand. So we understand their need based on them as unique individuals. We expose them to the resources that are available to them. We quantify the benefit to them as individuals or teams as or as organizations so that ultimately they make an informed decision and you really harness that human effect rather than what historically would happen is you get the vision from the top. This is what we're going to do. Lo and behold, often it doesn't work out as you expect, but that's because no one really understood the human effect here and here. You didn't take the time to understand what these people thought. And then when it fails six months down the line, all of those people go, if you'd asked me, I would have told you it was never going to. So we built an approach that was, okay, this is the value proposition that's defined by the president or the vice president or whoever it is. Often it's a hierarchical position. But then we went and tested it. We tested it through real simple surveys and asked people what they thought. It gave people the ability to contribute to the conversation, felt like they'd had a voice. It strengthened the value proposition. 
But most importantly, as the project progressed, people, as we used to say, had their hands in the blood. They were part of the process. So if people started to go, they were like, hang on a second, maybe we should try and do this. This is what I see. It's just such an incredible dynamic you see when you apply that human principle to transformation and change. Hi, everyone. Do you want to be your best customer's vendor of choice? Do you want to cement relationships with them, add real value, and gain insights that your competitors just can't get? Go to podcasthostforhire.com. That's podcasthostforhire.com. And let's work together to make you the value vendor of choice. As much as we sat there and said how difficult it is, pick on the salespeople for now, but it could be anybody within the organization, to sit there and embrace change. It's just as difficult for leaders who have been top-down, command-and-control-type leaders who are used to do what I say and don't question it to understand that there has to be a different way of doing it. There has to be that listen to, understand, and value people and realize that just because you think of it this way, just because the data tells you this because that's what your perception of it is, doesn't mean that everybody interprets that same data or understands the data the same way and is going to act the same way that you think that they should. So how do you help leaders get beyond their ego and enable them to understand that the world doesn't necessarily think, act, and react the same way that they do? I think, again, it comes down to a sense of subtlety and a sense of, for everyone, that they don't want to feel stupid either. You know, they're often in a position that can feel exposed. They're expected to be that leader that leads the change and leads the transformation. And historically, it's been, this is what we're going to go and do. Let's go and do it. And actually, we saw some incredible examples of leaders who were, they had, first and foremost, a growth mindset. They understood they couldn't possibly understand everything. And they were open to understanding what people genuinely thought, that kind of principle of bottom-up planning. They also had the humility to understand what did people really think of the vision that they were defining and had the awareness be prepared to change it and adapt it as they went. So as we went and did this exercise and we explained the principle of defining a value proposition, we did an exercise for one of our industrial businesses looking at the redefinition of their customer service organization. Now, the leadership of that organization had probably hundreds of years experience across their mindset, but they recognized that in the last three years, last five years, probably more so in the last three years, everything had changed. The world was a completely different place, ultimately because our customers, the way they want to buy has changed completely. So we did an exercise with them where they said, this is our expectation. This is our vision. I said, okay, let's build a value proposition for your organization that steps through seven relatively simple steps that helps build a value proposition. Then let's go and test it, see what people think. And actually what they got was hugely positive, but what it also gave them in a really safe environment for them as leaders, some feedback that made them go, okay, hang on, I hadn't thought of that. That's really great. And it's come from two or three levels down. Let's tweak our vision. And so what they did is they shared a vision. This is what we think. And then in a way that was very safe, didn't make them look stupid, didn't have to. They then went, actually, we've listened to what you said. Our vision now looks like this. 
And that vision became the value proposition for the process. And the engagement they got from people throughout the organization went up 20 or 30% just because they did it in a really safe and secure manner. I'd never seen people do that before because historically what happens is here's our vision for change. Here's our vision for X, Y, or Z. And this is what we're going to go and do. Go execute that period. End of story. End of conversation. I don't want any discussion about it. And actually, I think the greatest leaders of this generation have those things in them, the humility, the growth mindset, the collaboration, the willingness to realize that they can't have all the answers all of the time and want to use data-driven approaches, one of which is surveying your your team around the vision for the change. So yeah, fascinating. And I think that that's important because that's the ongoing communication. It's creating the feedback loops. It's creating the listening loops. It's being willing to sit there and say, okay, wait a second here. We thought we were going in this direction. We all agreed we're going in this direction. Something came up. Whatever it is, there's a monkey wrench in here somewhere. Okay, everybody, let's focus on this and let's come up with some really good ideas. And those ideas can come from anywhere. Great. We figured that out. Awesome. Now let's go back and communicate what we've changed and why we've changed it, how we've changed it, and what it means out to the field and be able to continue that along the process because change is messy in the middle. It really, truly is. And I tell this every single time I work with an organization with change, I says it's going to be messy in the middle. It's going to be frustrating in the middle. People are going to get mad. They're going to get frustrated. There are people that are going to want to throw their hands up. It's going to happen. You're going to yell at me. It's okay. And it's moving beyond those frustrating points. It's being able to step back and allowing a wide variety of voices to be heard because it could be the machinist who's actually been running that machine for 30 years that comes up with a great solution. And unless you ask that person or at least be open to an idea from that person, you're never going to come up with a solution that's going to actually truly work and move you beyond wherever setback you are. And I think that as leaders and people who lead change, we need to not only be aware of this, but we need to enable this at all different levels of leadership. And I think that's a really challenging point because in a lot of organizations, we call it the permafrost, the mid-level management. Things don't get brought up and the things don't come down because people are so worried about their job and their perception, and they don't want to speak truth to power, whatever the concept is, that a lot of the information doesn't make it down to the rank and file or from the rank and file, it doesn't make it up to the C-suite. How using business transformation, how have you been able to create more of a democratized communication method to be able to make sure that the right people are hearing the right things at the right time? I got a piece of advice about two months after I started that transformation project. So I walked into the, the pricing transformation project and I was this global workstream leader. It started to feel good, but I got some advice from the general manager of our French business. And I went into his office in Paris and we were running this bottom-up planning process where they brought a lot of people from across the organization and anyone could contribute ideas to this transformation. And he pulled me to one side and he said, I don't need you to lead these people. They understand our business much better than you do. He said much better probably than I do as well. He said, what I need you to do is I need you to dig in, sit beside them and help them, act as a coach, help them work through the principles. We need doers. 
We don't need people who are just going to collate information and report out. And it was so powerful because it was true. How often when you go into those roles do you sit and you gather the insights and the information that have been fed to you? You don't test them, you don't understand them, you don't validate them, you have no concept of benefit and the value it's trying to bring. You just report out. And then multiple times, those things fail. And we'd never do that with a customer, would we? We'd ask the customer, uh, external customer, what do you need? Understand their needs, understand how you can deliver it. We don't do it. And that was the, the greatest piece of advice I ever have. And when I talk about roles in transformation now and my ambitions for the future, one of the things I always say is I don't want to be in a solely hierarchical position. If I am in a hierarchical position in transformation, I'm going to fail. I have to have the ability. You ultimately sometimes have that for responsibility and accountability, right? But if you're going to lead transformation, you've got to have a means of being able to get to one level down, two levels down, three levels down, and sit side by side with these people and really understand their needs. You talked about continuous improvement. We built a commercial excellence framework which is a transformation framework fundamentally. It's got two sides to it. The right-hand side is full of resources. It's things like learning and development and sales analytics and market intelligence and all these wonderful things where we connect people to resources. That's not even important. What's on the right-hand side changes day by day, week by week, month by month, based on the needs of the organization or the individuals at that time. The most important bit is the bit on the left-hand side. It's about how do you create the self-awareness throughout the organization? How do you create the ability to self-assess throughout the organization and understand levels of maturity? How do you truly collaborate across unique individuals with different perspectives? External customers don't buy based on their company's beliefs. They buy based on their own beliefs. They're based on their unique makeup as a human being. You have to be able to do that. And the world is full of constantly changing best practices. So you have to have the ability to adopt best practices in a very agile way, while at the same time, collaborating, continuously improving, making sure people are self-aware, making sure people can assess. Now, if you build a community that can do that on the left-hand side of any transformation framework, the right-hand side does itself because you then are just connecting the dots for people based on what they actually need. It ultimately comes down to those people. But I always go back to that advice from the GM in the French business. Don't stand and collect data and report out. Get in, sit by the side of people, coach them, help them translate, help them uncover the value, help them see the potential and do it while you're sat side by side with them. It's so powerful. I call it leading from the middle. You know, certain people need a a little push. Some people need a hand back, but most people just want to see you shoulder to shoulder with them and know that you're there and that you're listening, that you understand and you value them and that you're part of the the solution. You're not just somebody sitting behind a desk with a closed door that you have to knock on the door and feel bad every single time you bother them. And I think that's really important. Here's my last question, because I want to be conscious of your time. And I think it's an important one is this with data, dealing with data, because organizations today live and die by spreadsheets, by dashboards, by whatever. My question is, how do we make sure that we don't go groupthink, data blind and 
absolutely trust data without verification. I'm a big believer of trust and verify and actually go out into the field and question to make sure that what the data is telling us is truly what it is. And how do you enable leaders to understand that data is not God, that it is one way of looking at things. It's a one way to to understand what the world is telling you, but it needs to be verified. It's interesting. You said something at the back end of the story I just told, which I think links to this to a certain extent. One of the lessons I learned, and we've definitely talked about this, is the concept of listening to understand rather than listening to simply respond. And that's part of that. How do you get through those layers in an organization? But I also think it's so important in the concept of using data, because ultimately my opinion is that we need transformation to be data driven. It needs to be. The world is full of data. It is informative. It's helpful. Technology empowers us, provided it's not the first thing we go to. We talk about things such as the democratization of data. We talk about machine learning. We talk about artificial intelligence. They're all words a little bit to me like pricing was five years ago. Would be wrong of me to put my hand up and go, I'm sure I understand exactly what you're talking about. Because ultimately what happens in the use of data, in my opinion, is we go to technology, we go to data, it becomes deeply technical and quite complex. So then maybe you lose 90% of the organization because they don't really understand how they've got to this point. So then they don't trust the data. They don't understand the technology. They don't understand how they can make things better and how they can use it to generate insights that help lead change and transformation. We did a lot of work in terms of sales analytics in Stanley Black & Decker. It was the age-old thing where sales didn't trust the reports that were produced. The reason they didn't trust the reports is because they didn't put all their data in because they didn't realize why they had to do it. They thought it was Big Brother watching them. No one had ever taken the time to define a vision for what we were trying to achieve. What's the value proposition of you as a salesperson or HR or finance having better data? Then what's the part of governance? How do you then ensure that core operational functions inside the business understand the role they play in good quality data that supports the vision. Once you've done those things, is everyone data literate? Now, that doesn't mean that I, as a commercial excellence leader, needs to be as data literate as a data scientist. Of course not. But I can be role-relevant data literate so that I then understand what I need to understand, I talk the same language in an appropriate manner. So that all the way through there, you have vision and governance and literacy that supports a community and an approach to using data to lead transformations. Then the last step in the process is technology. What technology do I use to support that? There is some incredibly cool tech out there that drives incredible process automation and data analytics and machine learning and artificial. It's incredible. The problem is often people go, ooh, I love the cool tech. Let's go straight to that. And they miss the preceding three stages, which, in my opinion, undermines all the value you could get from the use of data. It's showing people at their level. This is coming full circle with the conversation that we've had, is that if you can get people to understand why it's important to them, they'll embrace it. And I think if we can get people to understand 
why they should be data literate at their level. As you said, I can't ever be a data scientist. That's not me. But I need to be able to understand data as it's relevant to me. The salespeople need to understand data as it's relevant to them. The marketing department needs to understand data as it's relevant to them. So does HR. So does legal. So does customer experience. And if we can sit there and realize that not everybody is going to understand data at their own level, but they're going to understand it to a point where it matters to them and it helps them do their job, we're going to allow for business transformation to happen far more effectively and we're going to allow for challenges to change to be far less. Yeah, ultimately, we apply the logic that we applied as bad carrying sales reps, right? I'd walk in, I needed to understand the customer's needs. What is it I could do to add value for them as an individual? If you apply that principle for all customers, whether they're internal or external customers, you're a long way closer to being able to uncover their potential and add real sustainable value through any transformation efforts you deliver. I strongly believe it. I sometimes think we pay lip service to the principle of internal customers. I think if we can find a way, as we've said right throughout this conversation, of bringing it down to a human level where we truly understand the needs and wants of the individual on the other side of the table, we stand a much better chance of getting it right more often than we get it wrong. And we'll certainly be listening to understand rather than listening to simply respond. Amen to that. And let's leave the conversation there because I think that you just summed it up beautifully. James, you've been an incredible guest and we'll make sure that people can get in touch with you over LinkedIn in the show notes. And that's probably the best way for people to get in touch with you. But before I leave you and before we say goodbye, I just want to let people know what's happening. After five and a half years and 325 or more episodes, I've decided to sunset the yourlivingbrand.live show at the end of the year. There's a new show coming, and it's all going to be about things that are going to be really fascinating to people. And stick around over the last two episodes, and I'm going to do a retrospective next week. And the week after that, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag about what's next. But I want to thank everybody for being here. The episodes are not going anywhere. They will live on forever. They will be available at yourlivingbrand.live show or on my webpage at yourbrandmarketing.com. And I want to thank you all for being such an amazing audience, for being with me. And I can't wait to have you join me when we start talking about what's next. But James, thank you for your time. Thank you for your passion. Thank you for all that you've done for all the people within Stanley Black and Decker and elsewhere around the world to be able to make this world a better place, to enable business transformation to happen and to make sure that people are part of the change process and not just being affected by change process. Thank you, Ben. It's been a pleasure being here and congratulations on five and a half years. We can't wait to see what's next. I'm excited to let everybody know. Everybody have a great day. This has been the yourlivingbrand.live show. I want to thank you for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show at yourlivingbrand.live and share your favorite episodes with colleagues and friends. At Your Brand Marketing, we help companies engage, retain, and grow their most valuable assets, their employees. If you're tired of losing great staff and want to retain your best employees, build brand champions and leaders at any level. Contact us for a 30-minute consultation at yourbrandmarketing.com. That's www.yourbrandmarketing.com. 
Thank you again for listening and sharing. Tune in next week when we ask another guest, what's your story?